I want to open tonight with a quote from Andrew Carnegie, and I want you to listen carefully to what he said. He said, teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision. The ability to direct individual accomplishments toward organizational objectives. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Teamwork. We're going to find that's exactly what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 3 tonight. We find teamwork. We find people working together toward a common vision. We find individual accomplishments being aimed towards the organizational accomplishments. We find common people that are able to, to, to accomplish uncommon results. Now, to be quite honest, when you come to Nehemiah chapter 3, if you were all real honest, it's very tempting when you're read, maybe reading through the Bible in a year or whatever, or you come to that particular day's reading and then you look and it says, okay, today read Nehemiah 3. It's very tempting to just kind of skip over Nehemiah chapter 3 and head right into Nehemiah chapter 4. If you haven't taken a look at it, if you look at it real quickly, you're going to notice it is chock full of all kinds of names and gates and places and people. It's kind of like one of those genealogical passages that you come to and so and so begot so and so and so and so begot so and so. And you read through those sometimes and you just maybe are tempted just to skim it. Now, we know it's important because it's God's word, but the question often is, is it important to us today? Is it important to us in 2010? Is there something here for us in Nehemiah chapter 3? In fact, Charles Swindoll has a wonderful work on Nehemiah um, uh, called Hand Me Another Brick. And I went looking today in vain. He totally skipped chapter 3 uh, altogether. I mean, so it's tempting to do that. But you know what? If, you'll skip, if you skip this passage, you're going to miss out on a lot. In fact, a lot of people that I study consider chapter 3 to be one of the most important chapters in the whole book. Because uh, that may be surprising, but without what happens in chapter 3, the whole mission of Nehemiah would, would have been a failure. Go back to chapter 2, verse 17. We'll begin reading there. And kind of bring us up to speed from where we were last time. Remember, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Uh, he heard about the conditions in, in, in Jerusalem with, with um, the walls being broken down. He got a burden about it. He began to pray and fast and seek the Lord. The Lord opened the door for him to go before the king and to get uh, letters and be allowed to go to rebuild the wall. He comes there. He meets with the people, verse 17 of chapter 2. Then said unto them, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, there would be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now, the people responded verbally to Nehemiah. They said, yes, let us rise up and build. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right, Nehemiah. But here's what had to happen. They had to actually rise up and build. It's one thing to talk. A lot of people are good at saying, you know, we can do this, we can do that. But we have to actually put things into action. And that's what happens in chapter 3. So we're going to take the time tonight, believe it or not, to read through Nehemiah chapter 3 to begin. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably going to butcher a lot of names. And uh, if you know it better than I do, you, you can correct me and help me if you want. We're going to read through this passage tonight, maybe the first time for some ever reading through Nehemiah chapter 3. And... and what I want you to do is I want you to, first of all, kind of 
picture and see what we're going to be reading about. Because it's going to talk about the walls around the city. So I'm going to draw a very crude map for you up here on the, on the board, for you to kind of follow along what I'm going to be reading. And we're also going to ask you to listen for some key phrases. Uh, this little map comes out of uh, Derek Kidner's book, Ezra and Nehemiah. So let me put a, a quick map up here. And that way you can kind of visualize where we're going, because we're going to kind of walk around the wall in this passage and see who's building where and, and where the gates are and so forth. So we're going to start up here. And here we go. I pulled these new markers out of the office tonight. I just got these out of the office. I thought they were brand new and ready to go. All right, let's try red. Boy, that's a good one. <laughs> We know where it is. Let's see if these are any better. These are, these are terse. No, they're dry erasers. All right, let's let's see. Somebody else had the same problem I did. Well, it's not going to be very big, but you can see it. We're going to start up here with the sheep gate. Now, there were different gates coming into the city. So I'm just going to give you a quick visualization here. And then you have uh, two towers, okay? Then we have another section of the wall. Then we come to the old gate. Some of y'all got some of those at your house, right? Some old gates. And then come down. Tower. It comes in there. And then it comes around like this to a point and goes out. This is going to be a blessing to you, I can tell already. Mm -hmm. It comes up. We're going to come off this sheep gate on the other side and come this way. And then there's some other stuff in here, but I'm just going to leave that because it really doesn't help us. Um, here we have the east gate. Is there a reason for the odd shape? Is that like terrain or something? Well, there is a lot of terrain there. In fact, there's some, some uh, discussion about whether or not they directly followed the original wall or if it's actually a smaller section because there was quite a cliff and some believe they may have, have actually avoided that. Um, so we've got the old gate. This down here would be the, the uh, dung gate uh, coming out here where they would carry the waste and refuse and so forth out of the city. And then the fountain gate would be in within here. I just want to give you kind of a, a broad look at what it looks like. Now, remember Nehemiah took a, a midnight ride back in chapter 2, and he was surveying the wall and all that took place. That happened kind of right in here where the valley gate is. And he would come around the dung gate and went back up into this area. That was the midnight ride. But here's what you need to realize we're going to do tonight. Imagine this as a clock. Okay, so it's 12 o'clock right here. We're going to work our way in the passage, literally chronologically, if you will. It kind of runs counterclockwise. And you're going to find as we go around the wall, we're going in this direction, and we'll end up back at the sheep gate. So I just wanted you to kind of know where we're headed. Uh, just be thankful we don't actually have to travel there. Literally, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we, uh, based upon that map. And then I want you, as we read, as you're kind of picturing ourselves starting here at the sheep gate, and working our way counterclockwise around, I want you to listen for some key phrases as well, okay? And uh, let's begin reading Nehemiah chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 1. And I've said before, when you're reading Scripture and you're not sure about a word or a name, just read it as confident as you can. 
<laughs> Very few people are going to argue with you. Uh, we'll do the best we can here tonight. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with the brethren, the priest, and they built at the sheep gate. So everybody knows where we are at the top there, right? The sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, and they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And those are the two towers uh, we have there. And next unto him buildeth the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimah, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabil. And next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana. And next uh, unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besoadiah. They laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Melatia, uh, the Gibeonite, you know him, right? And uh, Jaden, the uh, Merothite, the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah, unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river. Next unto him repaired uh, Uziel, the son of uh, Har-Hera, of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, and they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. If I want to take over reading? You're doing great, great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, me. And next unto them repaired uh, Riphiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And next unto them repaired Jedidiah, the son of Harumoth, uh, even over against the house. And next unto him repaired Hatash, the son of Hashbaniah. Malchijah, the son of Haran, and Hashab, the son of Paul hath Moab repaired the other piece and the tower of the furnaces. And the next to him repaired Shulam, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The valley gate uh, repaired uh, Hanun, the inhabitants of Zenoa. They built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall into the dung gate. So you know we are down here from the valley to the dung gate now. Uh, verse 14, but the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of beth Haxarim. He built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalon, the son of Kolhose, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Saloa by the king's garden. And unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. And that was kind of in this area where I was talking about his midnight ride. If I remember correctly, the stairs come in there. Uh, verse 16. After him repaired uh, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half part of Bethzor, unto the place over against the sepulchres of David, and to the pool that was made to the house of the mighty. After him repaired the Levites, uh, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him repaired Hashabiah, the ruler of the half part of Kilah, in his part. After him repaired their brethren, um, Bevei, the son of Hinadad, the ruler of half part of Ki. 
Akilah, and next unto him repaired Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the ruler of Mizpah, another piece over against the going up to the armory at the turning of the wall. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall into the door of the house of Elishabib, the high priest. After him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, another piece from the door of the house of Eliashib, even unto the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him repaired the priests and the men of the plain. After him repaired Benjamin and Hashab over against their house. After him repaired Azariah, the son of uh, Maaseah, uh, the son of Ananiah, by his house. After him repaired Benunai, the son of Hinadad, another piece from the house of Azariah, unto the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. Pelal, the son of Uzziah, over against the turning of the wall, and the tower which lieth up in the king's high house, that was by the court of the prison. After him, Padiah, the son of Perosh. Moreover, the Nephims dwelt in Ophel, unto the place over against the water gate toward the east, and the tower that lieth out. After them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth out, even to the wall of Ophel. From above the horse gate repaired the priest, every one over against his house. After them repaired Zadok, the son of Emir, over against his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zaloth, another piece. After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, over against this chamber. After him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, to the place of Nethianims of the merchants over against the gate Mithcad and to the going up of the corner and between the going up of the corner and to the sheep gate also repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Uh, we got through that passage. Now, if I was reading that devotionally, if I was reading that silently, it'd be a lot faster than that. I wouldn't try to pronounce the words as much. But you, you read that and now here's the question. What is in that for us tonight? I mean, you might be planning on putting a wall up at the house, but I don't know if that's going to help you. Um, what does God have for us here? Well, here's the exciting thing. I ask you, if you would, uh, to listen for some phrases. And the, there's a couple of phrases I was looking for. That several things repeat there. But did anybody catch any familiar phrases that you heard over and over and over and over and over again? He built it and covered it and set up the doors off, the locks there. Yes, yes. A lot of that. A lot of that repeated over and over and over. All right, that, that is repeated. What else did you see repeated? Well, it's hard. Here's the phrase. After him repaired. There you go. What I'm looking for is this. Did you notice the phrases next unto them or next unto him? If you notice, we go from one verse that says so and so did next unto him repaired, next unto him, next unto them, next unto them, next unto them. The idea is as, as you walked around the wall, if you were to be a visitor there, you would see that there would be various groups working on various sections of the wall. And what I want you to understand tonight and be reminded of is the fact that this was not a one man show. This was not about one family or one man or one group of men. Or, or even group of people, this was all about teamwork. This was all of them working together, all kinds of people working together to accomplish this enormous task of rebuilding the wall. Now, there's a lot of lessons in there we're going to try to dig out tonight, a lot of things that people miss if you just kind of skip over the passage. And to be quite honest, it's very difficult to improve upon Cyril Barber's uh, outline of the passage, so we'll just use it. He talks, first of all, about coordination. 
coordination. I might have called this organization. It is evident right away when you look at the rebuilding of the wall that Nehemiah was very organized in setting out for this task. He didn't just ride into town and say, y'all, come on, we're going to rebuild the wall. And everybody just come, kind of come out and start working on whatever. Nehemiah did not rush into throwing up this wall. You remember his midnight ride, his night ride. Look back in chapter 2. We'll read those verses beginning at verse 12. It says there in Nehemiah 2.12, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man that what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon, talking about his, his animal he was riding. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley. So remember I said he went out by the valley gate in the darkness of night, you know, kind of under the cover of night. And it says there, um, verse 13, even before the dragon well and to the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates there were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So you're coming. He's coming out the valley gate, coming around the dung gate. And he gets to in this area, if you will. And it's, he can't even take his animal in. The stuff is so bad. Uh, it's broken down so badly. He can't even go in. And it says there in verse 15, Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. And it's obvious he took time to plan the work before he set out to work his plan. Now, instead of everybody working on the entire wall, if you'll notice in our reading of Nehemiah 3, the wall was broken down into sections. And those sections were assigned to certain groups of people. Uh, it's kind of like uh, how you eat an elephant. You know the old saying, right? How do you eat an elephant? One piece at a time. You can't take the whole thing in. You have to cut it up piece by piece and eat it. And that's what Nehemiah did. He took sections of the wall and they were assigned to certain people. And we do the opposite a lot of times. Say, so y'all come on out. We're going to be working or we're going to be doing this. And we all come and kind of figure it out. But Nehemiah was organized in accomplishing this work. And so the interesting thing was how wise he was in assigning uh, these sections to the various people. I don't know if you noticed as you read through because there's so many names. And you're trying to work through the passage. Did you notice how many people work close to their home? Let's look at a couple of those. Look back at verse um, uh, number 10. It says in verse number 10, And next to him repaired Jedidiah, the son of uh, Harumoth, even over against his house. Drop down to verse 21. It says, After him repaired Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Kaz, another piece from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. Um, that's actually not one I want. Let's drop down to verse um, 23. After him repaired Benjamin and Hashab over against their House. After him repaired Azariah, the son of Masiah, the son of Ananiah, by his house. You get the idea. Now, why would it be a wise thing for them to be working on the wall near their house? What would be the advantage of that? All right. The very first thing, yes, because, you know, the enemies were not happy at the very end of chapter two. 
It talked about Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah's servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian. We called them the Three Stooges, if you remember last time. They were not happy about the rebuilding of the wall. We know later on that things got very serious when it came to rebuilding the wall. The enemies came and were threatening them, if you will, and laughing at them and making fun of them. And so if you're there at your house and you're working close to your house, that concern for your family's safety is somewhat taken care of because you're there working, you're right there, you can defend your house and your your family under attack. What else would be a good advantage of working close to their house? Yeah, no commuting. Uh, all Everybody wants to get as close to their job as they can within reason. Why? So they have to spend all their time on the road going back and forth. So imagine, you know, if you lived over here and I assigned you a piece here, a lot of time is going to be spent for you to walk and travel down to that place each day and then go back home. All right. What else? would going to take more pride in their work. Yes, that's another thing. Uh, it's just like if you're working on your house or a piece of your house, you're going to do probably a little bit better job maybe than somebody else's house. Not that you wouldn't do them well, but you know what? It, it's your house. It's your area. You're going to take pride in the work. Very good. Um, anything else you think of there? Those are the three I had down. All right, well, let's move on. Now, they had these sections assigned to them. Not everybody worked near their house, but many did. Here's the other exciting thing about this. is The wall is divided up in different sections. People knew what was expected of them. People knew what they were responsible for. It wasn't just, okay, we've got to rebuild the wall. <laughs> you know, that's kind of overwhelming. Rebuild the wall? It kind of like saying if, if, if for some reason we had to rebuild this church building. We said, okay, let's go rebuild the church. You know, that's an overwhelming thing. Well, so you, you work over here in the basement. Uh, and lay the block there. You work over here. The sections are assigned. It's not overwhelming. They knew what they were expected before. The work was organized. And the people knew what they were responsible for. I couldn't help but think of 1 Corinthians 14.40. Anybody remember what that verse says off the top of your head? 1 Corinthians 14.40. Here's what it says. I like this verse. Let all things be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 1440. Let all things be done decently and in order. I believe we should do things as much as possible in an organized, decent, orderly, professional way. And when I say professional, I don't mean that we become professional like we're just acting. But I mean we need to do things in the right kind of way. I believe we need to allow the Holy Spirit to, to work and move in our hearts. But you know, you come in on a Sunday morning. Uh, you have a little bit of an expectation, I imagine, that there's going to be an order of worship and we have a plan in place what we're going to be doing. Uh, we don't want to be so predictable that you get here and think, oh, well, it's time to fellowship again. We try to change it up somewhat. But imagine if we just came and all just kind of sat on Sunday morning and say, well, all right, it's been about time. What do you all want to do now? You know, you think, well, the preacher's lost his mind. <laughs> and maybe I'm actually a little bit more towards this than other people would be. Um, but... I think all things should be done decently and in order. And Scripture is very clear there that that's the case. We don't do other things haphazardly. We certainly should not serve the Lord haphazardly. Uh, We should serve Him uh, decently and in order. So we have the coordination, the organization. Things are organized. Now, the second thing that's very evident here in this passage is cooperation. Cooperation. People from all various kinds of backgrounds in life were brought together to work on this thing. B.C. Forbes spelled success T-E-A-M-W-R-K. T-E-A-M-W-R-K, which spells teamwork. That's how he spelled success. What we have here in Nehemiah 3 is teamwork at its best. Now, there's no way in the world if Nehemiah had said, you know what, I'm going to rebuild the wall by myself. (laughs) Can you imagine? 
There's no way he could do that. There had to be teamwork. There had to be cooperation. And the same is true when it comes to God's work. The same is true when it comes to the church. Now put a marker there in Nehemiah. Let's go to some New Testament passages. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, it's evident every Sunday we come here and every Wednesday night and we have services like this. Do you realize how many people it takes to put together what goes on here on a Sunday morning? It starts earlier in the week. It starts with preparations of preparing the bulletin. Sometimes the, the Lord's Supper has to be prepared. Steve will come down. He'll make sure that uh, the heater air conditioning's on. Uh, we'll make sure things are ready to go. Uh, we have someone come in and clean and make sure the building's clean. Materials had to be ordered way in advance for Sunday school. We get here on Sunday morning. We come in. We go to our classes. Somebody has had to prepare their Sunday school lesson. We pray and hope. Uh, before you get here, we had to have people in the nursery to take care of the, the babies and the toddlers and all the way through all the different ages. Uh, people have been preparing music. The choirs practiced and ready. Uh, the pianist and organist are ready. We've got things ready to go. We go through Sunday school. Next thing you know, we move into the worship service. We need different people in the nursery. We need different people to come down for children's uh, church. We have somebody ready to go with children's sermon. We have somebody ready with special music. We have somebody running the sound in the back. We have somebody that's greeting people in the back. Do you realize just how many people thought about that? How many people it takes just to pull off one Sunday morning service here? I mean, it's incredible. Praise God for each one of you who comes and works in the various responsibilities. And I forgot a lot of people. I forgot about the ladies who who, who work in counting the offerings and, and do the Sunday school books and all that goes with it. We know that God did not intend the church to be a one-man show. Look at Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11. Here's what the Bible says, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Many believe pastor teachers there kind of goes together, pastor teachers. Why did he give them? Well, look at the next verse. For the perfecting of the saints. If you have a different version, you may have a different word for perfecting. Anybody have a different version? Equipping. Equipping of the saints. Thank you. For the perfecting or equipping of the saints... Equipping them for what? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man or mature man, unto the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, what's that saying? He's saying, look, I gave these different people, I gave the evangelists and the pastor teachers, and I gave them not to do all the work. Why did he give them? Look at the next verse. For the perfecting or equipping of the saints. Equipping the saints for what? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, think about that for a moment. I realize one of my jobs as a pastor is to equip everyone here in the church as best as we can, working together, to equip the saints here, the members of Red Hill Baptist Church, to do ministry. Now, some people have the idea the pastor's paid to do it all. That's impossible. That's just downright impossible. There's no way in the world that could ever happen. God has brought all of us together... And put us together to accomplish his purposes here. If you go to 1 Corinthians, it's interesting how we're talked about there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, this is all about you. This is all about you and all those here at Red Hill Baptist Church. God has brought us together 
And he wants all of us to work in ministry. And, and I'm to help equip you. And we're to help one another in ministry, in accomplishing ministry. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning down at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body is not one member, but what? But many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing... Where were the smelling? But now have God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And it keeps going there. But you get the idea. Picture it as a human body. Okay? Imagine a giant ear standing here. I mean, that would be a blessing to you, wouldn't it? Or a giant eye just looking at you. I mean, that would just, you know... That wouldn't do very much for you, would it? I mean, you might look at you and, you know, you might see a reflection, but our body's made up of different parts and different members. And so the idea here is, well, some, you know, our eyes have a certain function that they perform. Our ears have a certain function that performs. Our mouth, the various parts of our body, without them, our body is not complete. And so it is in the body of Christ. God has brought all of us together with our various spiritual gifts. You know, those who were here when I took all the adult Sunday school classes through taking the next step to get us all on the same page. We did a spiritual gift analysis and assessment. We went through and we, we took that test and saw how has God gifted each individual person. And, and some had taken that before others. It was the very first time we realized that God has given every believer a spiritual gift, at least one, at least one. And God wants us to use our gifts in the body of Christ. In other words, God has given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do right here. Now, what's the problem then? Why do we like sometimes the workers we need? Why do we like in ministries? What's the real problem? Honestly, people don't function like they should in the body. Listen to this. A great many people have, a, have got a false idea about the church, said evangelist D.L. Moody. They have got an idea that the church is a place to rest in. Listen. To get into a nicely cushioned pew, to contribute to the charities, listen to the minister, and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy is all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church, never enters their mind. That's D.L. Moody many years ago. But, of course, he's still describing the church today. A lot of folks, they come in. And their idea of church is exactly that. I come, it's all about me, it's about my comfort, I will give a little bit, I'll make sure we're not going to get in bankruptcy, we're not going to get too much trouble, I'm going to listen, I'm going to take it in, hope it's entertaining, hope it keeps me awake, and I'm going to move on until maybe next week, or maybe I'll take up next week, the following week. Is that what God has in mind for the church? Is that what a person's committing to when they come and say, I want to be a member of Red Hill Baptist Church. And we bring them forward. We've taken them through all everything that we believe and, and what we're all about. And they say, yes, I want to be a member. And we say, you know, all those in favor say, aye, aye. All those opposed. Nobody ever opposes anybody, right? So is that what it's all about, just to be comfortable? No, we're here to serve. We're here to work. We're here to serve the Lord. And the idea, if all of us would function within the body the way God has equipped us, we wouldn't have folks just, you know, having to wear tin hats and people over here getting so burnt out they can't go any further because God has given us those that we need to do what he's called us to do. British humorist Jerome, uh, or Jerome uh, K. Jerome said, I like work 
It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. And uh, we've got a lot of people like that. They like to sit and look at work. Man, look at those people. They're serving. Now, you know what? Those type of people did not begin in the church. They didn't begin in Southern Baptist circles. It went on back in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. Look back at verse 5. You may not have caught this passage or this, this, this section. It says in verse 5, And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but watch the next part, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. You catch what that said? The Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. In other words, the Tekoite common man, he was out there laboring away. He was out there serving the Lord, but not the nobleman. Now, why did the nobleman come and, and work? Well, we're not told, but for some reason they chose not to. Perhaps they thought they were too good to work. Uh, perhaps they thought that's kind of you know, below us. That is too common for our role in society. But here's what's interesting. Nehemiah wrote it down. It's in God's Word. And here we are all these years later still talking about these shirkers of responsibility, the noblemen, uh, the Tekoite noblemen. Now, you know what? There are still Tekoites in the church today. They're still here today. They want to come and take 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 everything they can, but they never want to give. They never want, in other words, they never want to serve, never want to give their time, their spiritual gifts. Their efforts, their talents, they don't want to give back. We have gotten to this faulty idea, and I think it's because of the market-driven church, that church is about us. We've got to find a church that, that fits us, and a church that's comfortable, and a church that kind of speaks to me, and a church that has everything that I need and want and could desire. Folks, the church is not about us. The church is about Him. The church is about Him. Now, are we comfortable? Yes. Are you comfortable tonight? Some of you don't answer too much because people never, never always ever comfortable because it's hot and cold. But you're in a soft chair, uh, dry, nice, praise the Lord. Um, our church has many wonderful things. I praise God for that. We're not discounting that. We're thankful for all the young people, everything we have here. But listen, in the final analysis, it's not about what we can get. It's about what we give God. We come to worship Him. We come to praise Him. We come to honor Him. You may not like every hymn that we sing. It doesn't matter. It's not for you. It's not for me. It's for Him. That sounds harsh today, doesn't it? Because we're in a market-driven society. We want people to appeal to us. The church is about Him. It's serving Him. The Tekoites are still in the church today. They, they come and come and come. They never give back. Now, thankfully, as we read through all those verses, they're the only ones we see mentioned in this passage. So that does mean no matter what church you're in, there's always going to be some Tekoites. They're always going to be there. And now, even if you called them that, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. So you're just a Tekoite, and they wouldn't even know, you know? But anyway. Uh, <laughs> now, starting at the Sheep Gate, you better not do that, because they might go to get the recordings and look it up and say, what is that? Wow. They wouldn't get it. But anyway, let's begin back at verse 1. Who are some of the people that worked here in Nehemiah 3? We know that the Tekoite noblemen, they didn't work. It, you know, we're not going to be working... But their common men did, those who were not noblemen. Go back to the very first verse there. Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it. They set up the doors of it, even to the tower of Mia. They sanctified it into the tower of Hananel. Now think about that. Here's the high priest. Uh, here's the priest with him. Here's his brethren. 
Now, surely you would think, well, you know, the priest going to come out and work? I mean, they're not really used to laying block and doing all this. But listen, they had a mind to work. They came out and they served the Lord in building the wall. This was hard work, folks. Anybody in here has ever laid any block? That is not just for fun. That is hard, laborious work. You think about building a wall for defense. You talk about some heavy lifting. Uh, we're not talking about going down to the Renaissance Center and getting a little bobcat, you know, put things up. We're talking about some muscle straining, sweating, sore, can't get out of the bed in the morning type work. Um, I've, I've laid block before, and I mean, that's some tough stuff to do. But imagine on this scale and this time period with what we have versus what they didn't have. But the priests, they got right in there and they worked. They didn't say, you know what, well, we're the priests, we could work. No, they got in there and worked. Who else worked here? Look at verse number 8. Next to him repaired Uziel, the son of Hear, uh, the goldsmiths. So the goldsmiths got in their work. The goldsmiths weren't really used to deal, dealing with big, large blocks and stones. They were used to dealing with gold and probably small and intricate things, or maybe a little bit larger things, but they're in there working. And then it says, not only the goldsmiths in verse 8, uh, but also uh, the son of the apothecary. Who has a different version? Maybe you have a different word there? Perfumers, and then some believe it may be the the pharmaceutical people or whatever medical, but uh, perfumers is one. Are they are they used to dealing with blocks and building walls? You walk through, you go down to the mall and you walk through the what is it, clinic? Y'all help the ladies help me. What are the sections there? They don't look like they deal with blocks very much, do they? They're there to make you up and deal with makeup and all that kind of stuff. But uh, here we have the, the perfumers, the apothecaries, or if they were the medical people that dealt with medicines or whatever, they were in there working. Here's something else. Look at verse number 12. It says, And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of uh, Helohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. So here we have somebody who's a ruler himself. And yet he's in there working. Here, notice the rest of that verse, verse number 12. And his daughters. Now think about that. Not just men. We've got the daughter, Shalom, and his daughter are working as a family. More than likely, Shalom didn't have any sons. Uh, he was a ruler himself, but these, these girls, they got there and they got after it. Maybe they were farm girls like you have here in Nancy County, and they were tough and they got in there, but they were, they were laboring away. All right, so we have all these different people. Would you agree they're from different walks of life? You have a goldsmith, you have a perfumer, you have a ruler, uh, you have a, a common laborer, you have merchants, you have all these different people, and yet they're all laboring away on the very same project. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of the church. Where else, beloved, do we find such a conglomeration of people? The rich, the poor, the unlearned, the learned, the high class, middle class, low class, Different tastes, preferences, styles, backgrounds, traditions, whatever. And God brings all those people together in one family, a church family, a local church family. It's amazing. If you just look at Red Hill's roster and you go through and look at the different people we have in the church, uh, it's amazing to see how different we are. Uh, what unites us? Who unites us? Christ. Christ unites us. So in the very same pew, you can have a, a common laborer with a CEO. And they're both there worshiping the same Lord. And they're both united in the same thing, the same cause, the cause of Christ. Here's the important thing that I remember. You have a role to fill. You have a spot to fill. 
You have a part to play. God has placed you in this church. He has a purpose for you being here. You're here at this point in your life, and God wants you to be used uh, in this place. And so I want to encourage you to make sure that you are. So we have coordination. We have cooperation. But next comes commendation. Commendation. Did you notice that Nehemiah knew these people by name? Did you notice that Nehemiah knew where they were? He knew what they were doing. Uh, He knew those who went the extra mile. Did you notice as reading there were some who not only repaired the initial section, they repaired another section. Uh, I think it's verse number 11. It says that uh, he repaired the other piece, the tower of the furnaces. Another example there is verse number 19. It says another piece over against the going up to the armory of the turning of the wall. There were those who finished their initial section and worked on at another place. You know, Nehemiah noticed that there was one man who really stood out. Look at verse number 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbi, earnestly repaired the other piece. Earnestly repaired. He noticed that Baruch was quite the, quite the worker. And he noted that and he recorded that here in Scripture. Can you see Nehemiah, beloved? Can you see him going around the wall as he's watching the work, as he's coordinating the work, as he's managing the work, as he's uh, overseeing all these things? Can you see him getting in with the people, encouraging them, speaking words of encouragement, saying, you're doing a great job? Uh, you see him pitching in. You, know, you might wonder, well, did Nehemiah ever lift a stone? Well, go to chapter 4 and notice verse 21. Nehemiah 4.21. Notice what he says. Nehemiah 4.21, so we labored, we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared, dropped into verse 23. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put, off, put them off for washing. Praise God for that, right? They actually took off their clothes and washed them once in a while. But the idea is that uh, Nehemiah was in there with them. Now, what all his roles were, I'm not sure. But he didn't just you know, sit up in the, the governor's mansion and say, well, how are things going today down at the job site? He's there looking, working, laboring, overseeing, probably pitching in there. And notice that Nehemiah does not brag about himself. He didn't talk about himself really at all. He's noticing the people, the workers. It reminds us that those in leadership, we talked about early on in the study, pretty much everybody in here is in a leadership role of some sort. Uh, We're managing someone, somebody, some way, whether officially or unofficially. It's important to show appreciation and encouragement to those who are laboring. That means a lot to people. Y'all ever caught any of that show on television called, I think it's called Undercover Boss? Have Mm -hmm. y'all seen that? Y'all know what that is? They take these CEOs of these huge corporations like White Castle Burgers and stuff like that, uh, and they, they put them in common clothing and they just, you know, put disguise, grow a beard out and they send them out in the corporation. They're, they're in there working with the truck drivers and the factory. people. It's a hilarious thing to watch, too, to see these people in there working. But at the end of the show, it comes out. They go back to their, you know, executive suite and they get back in their executive garb. And then they bring in these workers who still have no idea that this man is the CEO or, or this. I don't think I've seen any ladies yet, CEOs, but these, this man is the CEO and they bring these workers in, and they set them in the office, and in walks the CEO, and they're like, oh, it's you. And he says, well, I'm really not Fred. I'm so-and-so, the CEO. And you see the jaw, you know. Uh, but it's amazing because these CEOs will often reward these employees, and they find some phenomenal people. Once in a while, they have some people they have to really talk to that 
are not what they ought to be doing, but most of the time, from what I've seen, they're phenomenal workers. And they're rewarded and encouraged and even promoted. And it's amazing to see just how much it means to these common laborers, as they might think of themselves, how much it means to them to know that the CEO knows who they are, what they do, and appreciates it. I mean, it's amazing to see. How do you think these people felt as Nehemiah would come by and would say, man, you're doing a good job. And he's making notes there. And he's writing down. And here for all eternity, their names are recorded in the Word of God. You know, people we never would have heard of otherwise. Maybe they thought, you know, what really difference? What am I making? Listen, they were doing this for the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, to not be a reproach. Commendation. We need to encourage one another. We need to encourage and commend one another. But one more, completion. Completion. It's awesome to see here in Nehemiah 3 that these people worked until the job was done. They completed the task. They work very hard. We talked about that a moment ago. If you've ever laid block or anything, you understand. You know, sometimes when we're laboring away, we're tempted to give up. We're tempted to give up. I mean, you get those hard days, those long days. No matter what you're doing, it might be on your own job site, it might be in a project at home, it might be laboring in the ministry, it may be wherever you are. We get that temptation at times just to give up. We want to just give up. My life verse is Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I've had to go back to that verse many times in my life and go back to it again and again and again and, and encourage myself in the Lord not to give up. Now, this all seems so simple, doesn't it? I mean, you have these four areas. You have coordination, you have cooperation, you have commendation, and you have completion. It, it, it almost seems too simple, but you know what? As Dr. Rob Gilbert said, working together works. Working together works. Many hands make light work. I don't know about you, but you may be laboring along sometime on a project and you're by yourself and you're laboring, working and working. What does it mean when somebody else walks up and says, let me help you? Are you trying to carry something? And man, you're sitting there struggling. <laughs> I was reading today in one of the commentaries about one of the old... Uh, what was that show that Jackie Gleason and them was that the Honeymooners? That was before my time, y'all. So, um, but <clears throat> Nick at nine, and you never saw that either, Dave. But he talked about he talked about uh, the, you know the one was a bus driver. I don't remember the names. You have to help me here. Yeah, Ralph, Ralph, okay, and, and his buddy who worked at the septic. T- Ed, okay. Apparently, uh, what was the first name again? Ralph. Ed, Ralph and Ed. The, the one was trying to get a, a couch into his apartment. He's struggling there. Maybe you guys saw the episode, and his buddy came up from the septic thing, and he says, I'll give you, a, you know, give me a hand, okay? So they're there in the middle of the doorway, and they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and finally he says, we're never going to get this couch in this apartment. He says, trying to get it in? I thought you were trying to get it out. You know, they're <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. But it means a lot uh, when somebody comes along and helps bear that load. God has brought us here. God has brought us together. We have a spot to fill. So the, the question is, are you filling your spot? I believe we've got you know, some of the cream of the crop here tonight. And, I, and this is something that you preach on a Sunday morning and, and many times over. We're to work together. We're to work for him. I couldn't help but think about this as I was preparing this today. Something I came across my, in my devotional reading back in January from Streams in the Desert. And I put it on my computer and I, I look at it. It says, others may do a greater work, but you have your part to do. And no one in all God's heritage can do it so well as you. That's a good reminder. God has a part for us to play. The old saying goes, what? Bloom 
where you're not, right? No. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. God has us here for a reason. Well, let me ask you this. As we read through Nehemiah chapter 3 tonight, very beginning, did you think we'd get that much out of it? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? There's some gems hidden in those passages that are sometimes difficult. I was reading just, uh, I guess it was earlier this morning, um, from Joshua, the book of Joshua, one of those passages where they're dividing the land and so forth. And, and it's one of those long, you sit there and read about they went this and that and they got this and this place. But then right in the middle is that gem where uh, Caleb, you know, Caleb still strong. You know, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that survived from the initial folks that came out. They had, married, they had buried Moses. They had buried Aaron. Uh, but Joshua and Caleb, even though they were above 20 years old, they had been the two spies that were faithful. And uh, it talked about there that, that Caleb had put forth the challenge that whoever went in and took this one particular group, um, that he would give their daughter. He would give his daughter to marriage to that person. And it's interesting there because he does that. And as they're getting ready to go off, the daughter tells her husband to ask for a blessing. You know, ask for and and and, and she asks and they ask for some springs. And, and Caleb gives the springs. I think it was the upper and lower springs. And I thought, man, right in the middle of this passage where you might just want to skim through, here's a wonderful, just on the surface, a wonderful story of a, of a dad who loved his daughter and a dad who loved his family and a dad who blessed one who sought, to, sought a blessing. I mean, just right in the middle of all these things. So let me just encourage you, when you get to those passages, you're skimming, skim slower and, and look deeper and realize that God has a purpose for putting this in his word. And I hope it's a challenge to you tonight. We need to pray and go. I appreciate your attention and I appreciate you being here tonight. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your blessings in our life. Thank you for this passage. Father, we, we have a hard time saying the names and understanding all the names, but we understand what you're teaching here. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. Bless our church. Help us all to be playing the part you want us to play. Dismiss us in thy care and thy love. Watch over us. Be with the choirs they practice now. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen and amen.